the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, one God, me. So before I start the second lecture about how do I win the war, the rules here for winning is different than any other thing that we might be engaged in. In our mind or in the world mind, to win means I have full victory. I overcame my weakness. I am done. I moved yeah, past this kind of weakness. But with this kind of war and this kind of battle, it is different. In order for us to say that I, I am on the way to victory, I have to like get into three points and we agree with. First of all, that I am engaged in the battle. I, I, I'm not going to give up, I'm not going to surrender, and I'm going to fight to the last breath. So number one is the decision I make, I am engaged. The second decision is that I will compete, I will fight according to the rules, as St. Paul says. There is some kind of guidelines that the Bible is defining for us and the church is helping us to understand. I will fight according to the rules. The rules are not made by me. They are made by my reference, basically the Bible and the church. The third is the aim of, of me in this war is to get Christ on my side. And that's it. I didn't speak about overcoming the weakness. It is over. It is done. I'm not doing this anymore. This is not how we win. You win when you get him by your side. I remember reading this. This Winston Churchill, you know, the prime minister of England during the World War II. He said, the first night I slept after the beginning of the war is when I heard that the United States entered the war on our side. This is the first time you feel like I slept. The world is not over yet. There is a long way to go, and he doesn't know how this is going to go, but he is now confident it is over, it is done. We have the biggest army by our side. So remember this. Your victory is decided based on these three things. I am engaged. I will never give up. Secondly, that I will fight according to the rules, the rules defined by the church and by the Bible. Number three is... My aim is to get Christ beside me in this war. So how we fight according to the rules, how we get Christ by our side, how to be engaged. It all starts here, how we think and how we perceive ourselves, perceive the enemy and perceive the, the uh, way to victory. And I will speak about 10 tips that's important for us to believe in and to embrace and live by. The number one and the most important one of them, the foundation of this battle is the realization. As we spoke in the previous lecture about that the first and most common device used by the enemy is the alienation, get me away from myself, from my reality, from God, from church, from my family. So the first way back is the realization that I am here, I am in this area, that I should not be there. This is number one. Remember the, again the lost son. The lost son, the first step in his repentance was what? He came back to himself. He started to realize, oh, I am, I am in a big trouble. This is the, the thing. Without this step, none of the other nine tips will work. Without realizing there is a big problem and there is something for me here to do and to understand, then nothing really can work. 
being aware, fully aware of myself, my weakness, and the truth about the reality I live in. You know, we all say this, I am the biggest sinner in this world. I am the chief of sinners. We say it, it's so easy to say. And it is some kind of like uh, a fake humility that we usually find it's comforting to say. But the realization that I am truly as I say, no one, no one is as miserable as I am. Because no one knew what I knew and lived even after this against God's commands. This is number one, being fully aware of myself, my weakness, and the truth about the reality I live in. The second realization is to acknowledge my inability to change myself. And this is something that becomes a fact. No matter how hard I try, I cannot change myself. I tried many times. I resorted to my will. I got all kinds of exercises, but none of this will work. There is no way for me to win without him and without grace. The third realization is realizing the goodness of God. You remember Job? Job was tried like no man. We know this. And then he started after the pain of the loss and the suffering, he started going into another pain, which is why God is doing this to me? What did I do? What exactly I did wrong? And he kept talking and his friends kept talking back and telling him, you are a bad person. That's why God is doing this to you. And Job tried to defend himself. If I am mistaken, let me know. When God started talking with him at the end of the book, starting chapter 39, we find God instead of telling him, Job, by the way, um, I want to tell you that I'm trying you because of this. That didn't happen. If you read these three chapters, you will find in them what? You'll find questions. God is questioning Job. How many questions? 77 questions. God is questioning him. And the three, the three main categories for these 77 questions is like this. The first group of questions is, Job, do you understand my creation like I do? Of course, the answer is, of course not. The second group of questions, do you care about my creation as I do? And of course, Job, without answering, he, he knew that not. And the third group of question is, can you manage my creation as I do? And Job, at the end of, the, of the, this kind of question, said that I spoke with things that I did really, I did not understand. Job came to the realization, I am so limited. No way I can comprehend things as you do. And that's why I'm not going to question you anymore. Job found comfort by this realization. I do not understand. I am so limited. I'm so little. You know everything. Even at this moment, when he started to feel, I am I'm comfortable, at that time, his trial was still on. God did not restore anything yet. But when he came to this realization, I am too little, you are too great, he found comfort. And at that time, the... The trial was over. Nothing more. I want you just to learn this. This is the message that God wants us to know and understand and realize. At any given moment, we have to come back to ourselves and say, I am too little. You are too great. Your goodness is beyond my comprehension. Your wisdom is something I cannot search. And we have to come here and admit this before God for ourselves. This is an important realization in our, in our uh, battle against the enemy. Look here, David, King David, he had uh, mistakes in his life. 
was when he ordered uh, the head of the army, Joab, to make a census for the, for the people of Israel. And he insisted on doing this. Go and do it. And the man told him, no, why we should do this? At that time, by the way, in the Old Testament, God is the only person who can order a census. You count the people when I tell you. David was triggered by his ego. I want to see how many people I'm governing. I'm a king over how many people. When he committed this, then we read this passage in the end of the book of 2 Samuel. David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, or I, for I have done very foolishly. Can we come to this realization? I have done very foolishly. I acted in a way that's really something that I, I feel like I troubled myself, I troubled the people who are around me. In another situation, we find David not realizing his sin when he committed adultery with the sheep and did not even, I don't know how he was exactly thinking, but he was numb until Nathan came to him. And Nathan told him, you are the man, you did this. You made this kind of sin. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This moments of realization, of taking this kind of like insight and his eyes opened is the beginning of the true battle, the true victory over the enemy. In the realization also we come to this, the conf confessing the self-deceit of being in the house of God without any attempt to repent. We keep on, we go and to the house of God, and maybe we serve. We go in and go out, in and out, in and out, until maybe one time when we come to this realization that I am here physically, but I am not making any attempt to repent yet. By the way, being engaged in the service sometimes cloud our eyes, make us feel like we are doing the right thing, and we are okay, and we are accepted and approved by God, because I am a servant, I am a priest, I am whatever. But here again, God was saying this to the people trying to open their eyes. It is not enough that you are in my house. It is about repentance after all. He said to them in the book of Jeremiah, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house which is called my, my name? What exactly are you doing to yourself? deceiving yourself by doing this. This realization, God wants people to have their eyes open and know that it's not just the mere presence in the house of God or taking communion, all of this, that's, that's everything. Another realization that's also we have to settle and we have to come to believe in is that man is the ultimate cause of his own misery. No one would cause us as much damage as we can cause ourselves. Bottom line, this is something we have to agree on. No one can cause us misery unless we cause it to ourselves. Another realization which is fundamental, crucial in our battle is that no joy, no meaning, no freedom or success away from the father and his house, and his house or his home. Trying to find any of these away from God is just something that we will keep on going in circles and we will never find answers. And also in the process of realization, this is the beginning of the right change. When did the 
prodigal son decide to go home, it is when he came to this realization, I perish with hunger. Now I will arise and go to my father. So unless I feel like I am perishing here because I'm lacking anything, everything, then there is no way for us to change. It is the start of a genuine relationship with God by which we receive his favor. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector? This is comforting for us, by the way. The tax collector was not a new man when he came to the temple. He did not quit his job yet. or We do not know even what he did intentionally. The parable was given to us about a sinner who came approaching God with the realization, I am, I am a sinner. That's, that's it. This was the whole thing. And then he was, he was justified just by admitting this. The second uh, token for, for how we fight according to the rules is after this kind of realization, which is the foundation, second one is the ownership. The ownership means that what I did and what I caused, it is my responsibility. The problem is with me, my way of thinking, my un uncontrolled thoughts, my impulses, my rejection to the leadership of the Spirit of God in my life. I like this saying by this, he was a basketball coach in California, say you are not a failure until you start blaming others for your mistakes. At that time, you define yourself as a failure when you start blaming and pointing fingers to other people. This ownership is important. I own it. This is my issue. This is my, my problem. If I keep saying it is because of him, her, them, God, church, then I'm not going to win this battle at any given time. If I don't take responsibility for whatever is happening around me, then there is still a long way to go. Others may only manifest my weakness, but they do not cause them. When the Lord the Christ spoke about offenses, what did he say? Woe to those from whom or, or by whom offenses come. Yet, but when he spoke about how to handle offenses, what did he say? If your eyes cause you to stumble, if your hands cause you to stumble, and the solution is what? You block it out. You cut your hand. Saying it is you, you handle it within yourself. Others, they only show, manifest my weakness, but they do not cause them. They do not cause them. i give you the example. If someone, for example, after eating a strawberry, then all of his body is red. So what is the problem here? The problem is this person has an urticaria, some kind of allergy, right? The solution is what? It's for him to start seeing a doctor, taking medication, handling the allergy. It's not about making a campaign so the strawberry is going to be like not to be planted in the whole universe because strawberry is wrong, is something that's sinful, is bad. It's not a problem with the strawberry. The strawberry shows that I have a problem. See, this is something important for us to have the right mindset in this kind of battle. If I'm offended at a woman who is dressed in a certain way, yes, of course, she has something to do with like making herself not to be an offense, but the issue is with me. That's why, thank God for Christianity. We do not cover women in order for us to be uh, like uh, safe. I remember one time I was in Saudi Arabia and there at that time, all of the women are dressed with a like whole cover veil. So this woman, or, or, or this how she, 
I don't know. She was covered from head to toe. And while she was walking, she's crossing the street. Then this young man coming with his car and getting around her. And I was wondering what exactly he is, he's looking at. <laughs> this woman literally could be his mom or maybe his sister or anyone. <laughs> the problem was not her, definitely, because she is covered from head to toe. The problem is where is in his heart. So that's again, this is the idea. The ownership. It is me, it is my problem, it is not other people. The third token is adjusting my expectations. This is an, another also mindset, the right frame of mind. God's love does not contradict the presence of suffering. Okay, I have to delete this kind of idea that if God favors me, if I are, we are in a good relationship, everything goes my way. It's not a guarantee of my wishes and, and is not to spare me from doing my part of every, every, any given task. This is one expectation I have to sit right in my relationship with God. Another expectation which is crucial because it defines my relationship with the church, the church is a hospital where I expect to meet sinners. Service is offered by those and for those sinners and everyone makes a choice to be part of a solution or a problem. Defining that the church is the issue, it is the, no, 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 this is not going to get us anywhere. Wherever you are, you can be part of a solution or you can be part of a problem. But thinking that the solution comes from somewhere else and I'm expecting, uh, sometimes people say, he is a servant in the church. And so what? He's still a sinner. And no one said, because I'm a servant, then I have a label saying that I passed all of this kind of sins. It's not, it's not for me. Another expectation which is important for us is to know that it's a long war and there is no secret shortcut. There is no way I can, ah, oh, I found it. And then according to this kind of advice, I am, I'm, I'm done, I'm over. I got over the sin. No, this something is going to continue to the end of our journey here on earth. I am an imperfect person who lives among other imperfect people. Look here, when Isaiah, he, he saw God in his throne. He said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I always get amazed when someone is like, he's so upset as his wife because she lies. And then I ask him, between me and you, you make lies sometimes. Say, yes, but not as bad as she does. You make lies at the end of the day. So you are as sinner as her. Okay, let us be realistic and let us make some kind of expectation. You are an imperfect person. Why you are expecting other people to be perfect around you? And do exactly. You say, I told her this hundred times. The question goes back to you. How many times you heard this command from God? Hundred times. Church or from Abuna or from whatever. Yes, I heard many things hundred times. I'm still falling short. With the same way you are granted here space to make mistakes, we have to do the same. This is important when we deal with people around us so we do not get, uh, in a way, irritated at them simply because they are imperfect or doing mistakes even after we taught them many times. Whatever I sow is what I will eventually reap. It's important for us to set expectations right, especially when we deal with people around us.
They say the world is like a mirror. They know the house of mirrors. What will happen in the house of mirror? You stand and every image will reflect whom? Reflect you. So if you want this kind of mirrors to reflect a good image, what should need, be, need to be done? I stand right before the, the, this kind of mirrors. When we stand wrong, what will happen is we will see images of things are wrong. This is something that we need also to set our expectations right. There is a story about a uh, house of mirror where when they opened in the morning, they found a dead dog. And they were wondering how this dog died. So they looked at the camera, they found this dog sneaked before the door closed and, and get inside. Once he got inside, he started looking at the mirrors. So many dogs are coming on it. He started barking and, and fighting with them, hitting himself again. And whenever he does this, he sees the same. It's happening to him until he gets exhausted and died. Sometimes we do like this. We are fighting and with people that eventually, those people, we made them like this. Sometimes actually this happens in our own household. Okay, my wife become aggressive because I'm aggressive with her. Maybe this is the case. Whatever we sow is what we reap. Be careful of this. The war is a long-term process and victory is only declared at the very end of this life on earth. This is another expectation that also we need to set our mind on. The fourth token is the scope of responsibility. This is important to understand that I am responsible for the struggle, not for the victory. I will say it again and again and again and again. I am responsible for the struggle and to do it right, not for the victory. Thank God for his goodness. God is not waiting for us to complete everything and be perfect, and then we pass every kind of sin in order for us to be crowned. There is a crown called the crown of struggle. We hear this and we know this. I remember reading this in the book of the Life of Prayer by Abu Namat al-Muski. So that at the moment when you feel like there is no hope, I'm not going to ever overcome this kind of sin or weakness. At that time, Christ is, is waiting behind you, holding the crown of struggle. He just wants you to keep pushing for another day. Just move forward. Don't linger here. Don't stay here. Don't beat yourself. Don't measure yourself with the sin you commit. Just continue your struggle. Do what you need to do. This is important to identify your scope of responsibility. I am responsible to take the medication, not to heal myself. And I will keep taking the medication. We'll speak about the medication in a minute. I will keep taking them day after day and day in, day out. To be healed is something else, not up to me. Look here, this verse, very comforting. It shall come to pass in the day, in the day the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow, from your fear, and from the hard bondage in which you were made to serve. Who will give us rest? Him, not us, not our struggle. No matter how sincere or fervent it is, it is him who gives us the rest. The fifth token is avoiding the path from the beginning. If you know that when you walk this way, you will end up into a bad place, the right thing to do is to avoid walking altogether. But sometimes we feel like it is enjoyable to flirt with sin without coming to the end. I will just walk and then before the cliff, I will just back off. This is not safe and this is not a good game to play. 
because here we are flirting with a monster and this monster can get you there and then you will not be able to come back. Avoid the path knowing if you are walking into a trap, don't walk, don't start from the beginning. We all can define a pattern of how we fall. We know this. We know that if I start this kind of relationship, eventually this will end up into a place where I do not want to be at. The right thing to do is don't start the whole thing from the beginning. Don't try to your luck and say, oh, I'll just go with it. But uh, before we fall in sin, I will just say, say I'm sorry, I'm not, for, I, I'm not interested in this. Look here, the path of the fall of King David. King David, the psalmist, the judge of Israel, uh, all of these good attributes about him. We read this in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the chapter about his fall in adultery and murder. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. We were expecting that when he rises, he go to prayer. But he rose and walked, doing nothing. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. When you read before this, this was the time where people were in battle. What are you doing at your home? And he woke up in the evening. So this kind of steps, I am not in battle, I'm at home. And instead of I woke up in the morning, I'm walking in the evening. And instead of walking up and praying, I'm walking, will I just wake up and then wandering. So what happened is he ended up lusting for the woman, bringing her to his house, committing adultery with her. She became pregnant. He got embarrassed. How can I cover this? He brought her husband. He tried to convince him to go to his home. He didn't go. He sent him to the... All of this started with what? With these steps, just being lazy and negligent of his spiritual canon. We all know this kind of pattern, and we can relate to in order for me to be safe or to win, I have to avoid the path from the very beginning. The sixth token is grace wants to come to us. God wants to aid us, but there is hindrances. In order for me to be able to fight and to have victory, maybe I need to clear the path to this uh, grace coming to me. What are these kind of obstacles? Number one is judging others. When I judge others and I think of them that uh, they are not good enough, what will happen is God will let me fall in the same sin so I understand it's not really I am better than people. Another obstacle is anger. Anger hinders us from experiencing God's grace. When we are angry, we cannot pray. We know this. And this is one of the things that we have to be very careful with. Stubbornness and rebellion. I know what needs to be done. No one should tell me because I am an adult, I know, and I have a servant, I have been in the church, this is the right thing. Injustice, dealing with people in an unjust way, selfishness. All of these are children of bride. And bride is the main obstacle that hinder us from receiving grace. God wants to send us power so we can fight and we win. But all of these need to be cleared. Sometimes we keep struggling with a certain sin for years. And we do not know what is wrong. Why I'm not victorious. I'm trying everything. I'm fasting. I'm praying. I go to the church. I do everything according to the rules. But maybe there are one of these there. And God do not want to grant me victory. Because if he grant me victory with bride, I will be buffed up. I will feel like I am better than anyone else. I already 
attained what no one was able to receive. The struggle for humility is the key in any battle against the power of the adversary, as God gives grace to the humble. If we are to fight against any sin, it starts with this, struggling to acquire humility. Many times we are humiliated by sin, and God is not granting us victory simply because of the pride of our heart, whatever its manifestation might be. Sometimes we avoid confession and saying, I don't know what to say. I'm going to say, Abuna, I, I do this mistake over and over and over. I don't want to, so, to say this. Confession is one of the humbling tools, by the way. I go to Abuna and say, I did this again and again and again and again. This is one of the ways I, I re really humble myself. And then I become subject to God's grace. Look at the people of Nineveh. How he received God's favor. Because of what? Not because of the fast. The fast was a reflection for their humility. And God granted them to be saved. One of the advices that Joshua, the son of Sirach, gives us is accept everything that will happen to you. When we think about it, we find difficulty. Can I accept everything that happened to me? Or I have to maybe like blame or struggle or fight or no, I'm not going to accept everything. This is how we acquire humility. The seventh token is to walk in the light. No flirting with the beast. You do not tape on a lion and you will think that I can stretch my hand inside the, the cage and I will get it out safely. Should not be doing this. The Bible tell, tells us this. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. One time I saw a girl who was demon-possessed. I didn't know that she was demon-possessed, but uh, when I, I was praying with her, she, she was feeling and thinking and acting in a weird way. Then she started having all this kind of diff, yani, different, yani, I don't know. She was speaking in a language I didn't understand. She was screaming. Her voice even changed. It's so scary. When we started digging into what happened exactly, why she is like this, then she started telling about how she, f she thought it was something that's fun to play with a Ouija board. It's called a Ouija board. And going into these hunting houses and going into with her friends into this kind of uh, people who are reading uh, the future. She was flirting with the beast, assuming that this is fun. Something I can play with it and I will be safe. Don't flirt with, with the beast. No fellowship with, with, uh, between light and darkness. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? When the church speaks to us about, for example, avoiding the Halloween thing, what exactly can, can be? When there is a, par a parade that's led by Satan, and then we are walking in it dressed as angel. This is what? This is fellowship between darkness and light. Don't do this. Let us not get into this. These places are not for us. These kind of practices, we should not be uh, taking part in them under any name. The second thing in walking in the light, beware of the power of gravitation. What do I mean by this? At the beginning, whenever we are to taste something that's sinful, maybe this kind of experience by itself one time is not going to be that big of a deal, maybe. But the second time, then there will be some kind of gravitation. And by the way, as the way to God, 
also has this gravitation up. There is also a way of gravitation down. And I'm saying gravitation because there is a force that will pull us whenever we walk in darkness. It's not just something that I say I can stop it whenever I want. No, it doesn't happen this way. There is power of gravitation. The Lord Christ instructs us saying, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. As if like while walking, someone else is walking behind me. It's darkness. If I stop walking, I will find myself slowly getting into this power. Someone will overtake me, and this overtake is done by darkness. When you read this verse, it tells you exactly what does it mean to fall under the power of gravitation into what is sinful. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom speaks to us saying, but he who sins against me wrong his own soul. All those who hate me love death. Can you imagine a person love death? Yes. When you ask anyone who is addicted to any kind of drugs, you know that this is harmful, right? No one will tell you I didn't know from the beginning. No, the person knows exactly it is, it is sinful, it is wrong, it is dangerous. Why you are in it? Why are you trying this? Why are you attracted to what is like what might cause you eventually to die? Those who hate me love death. If I am not moving towards light, I will find myself gravitating towards what is this. The eighth token is, do not give the enemy a place. We give the enemy a place in many ways. How? The first rule is, evil cannot be corrected by evil. When the Lord says, do not hate anyone or love your enemy, it's not about just being decent. It is because when I allow hatred to take over my heart, I am giving the enemy a place. And once he has a place in my heart, then that's it. This is what it takes. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not keep any kind of hatred or anger in your heart against anyone. Pray for those people because this will clear you from this spot that the enemy is looking for. I believe that all of the battle of the cops in Egypt is not to hate those who persecuted them. Because when we hate them, we are done. That's it. We lost the battle already. Don't give him a place in your heart in any way, any form. Evil cannot be corrected by evil. Another thing is close his point of access. I like this verse. And sometimes when we mention to people who are fighting at home, they, they really do not relate, do not think about it. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Here, as if like the Bible is telling us, St. Paul says that you have till the evening to make it up. But if you keep your wrath, you sleep with it, you are giving the enemy a place. And be, being angry at home, keeping this kind of struggle ongoing, refusing to be reconciled, even at, at least coming to a point of let us pray and talk about it later, we are giving the enemy a place. If you want to win, do not give the enemy a place. One time, uh, a person was in a way, yani confessing about like uh, something related to sexual immorality. And then, when I was, I, 
I used to read him the absolution every time, every time. And then one time a person came and told me, you know, Buna, this servant, he has a membership on one of these bad sites, uh, uh, whatever they are. So next time I told him, do you have this kind of membership? He said, yes, I do. I told him, when you come to confess, you still hold keeping them? He said, yes, Abuna, but I come to confess that I do this. But if I'm still keeping them, I'm not confessing. I'm not repenting. I'm not really serious. Like people sometimes when they come and say, Abuna, I do not give tithe. Now I ask, do you mean that you are going to start giving your tithe? Say, no. <laughs> so what exactly are you confessing? You are confessing a sin that's ongoing? This is not, doesn't, doesn't mean any sense. I confess means that I acknowledge this wrong and I'm going to make a new start. Yes, maybe I'll fall into something, but it's not my intention. I'm not confessing something that's ongoing. Otherwise, I am giving the enemy a place. I'm just like keeping him in the car outside until I finish my, finish my confession and Abuna prays for me the absolution. Another place also we give it to the enemy is when we lean on our understanding. When I have myself as my reference, I am giving the enemy a place. I don't have a guide. I know what is right. No one should tell me what to do. Avoiding things like I felt like I banished myself. I thought it is. I heard all of these things. Again, I'm saying I become my own reference and this is giving an enemy a place in my mind, in my heart, in my home. To be guided by the marks of the sheep, how people before me walked. When we speak about the Igbeya, the Igbeya is not something invented today. Something that the church taught her children with it for 2,000 years and has been working. So you are not hearing something that's made up by Abuna or it's not something that's helpful today. What was helpful yesterday is still helpful today. These are the marks of the sheep. Follow them. Follow in their footsteps. The ninth token is to put on Christ. This is, again, all of these steps are to bring us to this point that I put on the armor of, of God. What is the armor of God? St. Jerome said the armor of God is Christ himself. From what we read of the Lord our Savior throughout the scriptures, it is manifestly clear that the whole armor of Christ is the Savior himself. It is one and the same thing to say, put on the whole armor of God and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our belt is truth, our breastplate is righteousness, the Savior is also called both truth and righteousness. So no one can doubt that he himself is that very belt and breastplate. On this principle, he is also to be understood as the preparation of the gospel of peace. He himself is the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. He is the sword of the spirit because he is the word of God living and efficacious, the utterness of which is stronger than any helmet and sharp on both sides. How we put on Christ? In baptism, we know this is the beginning. We put on Christ. Those who baptize put on Christ. But this is the beginning. What started in baptism continues through through our the means of grace, like prayers, fasting, spending time with the Bible, prostrations, confessions, partaking of the Eucharist regularly with true repentance. When we practice these, we are putting on Christ. We are now putting on the armor of God. We are ready to fight the battle according to the rules. This is something we cannot do without it. 
we cannot win anything without having him being our armor of God. The tenth and the last, yeah, the last token is beware of the last strike. Sin by itself is not enough, by the way, to make a person to perish. Let us agree on this. We do not perish because we are sinners. Everyone is a sinner. Those who in heaven are sinners are where? The difference between those people in heaven and those people in hell is not those are sinners or those are not. But the people in heaven never were stricken with this one. What is the last strike? The last strike is despair. That I come to the point of like, you know what? There is no point. Let me surrender and fall. Falling in sin is not the final call of our defeat. The last strike is despair. Typically preceded by isolation and self-pity. This is where the devil knows that now I, ha I won. Get this person out from the flock. I used to attend the church, not anymore. I used to hang with you from the church, not anymore. I used to read my Bible, not anymore. And then get out. And then I start instilling in your mind. You are hopeless. You are not like any other person. Life away from God and from the church is much, much fun. And there is no point anyhow, so enjoy what you can. Maybe what you can is, is this, is earth, earth only. Along the way is the justification of what is wrong, adopting a foreign understanding of the Bible, defining God's love away from his justice. All of this will lead the person away to fall in despair. Being involved in response to this, in response to isolation, we should be more involved with our families, with our kids, with our spouses, within the church. I'm not going to isolate myself. I am a sinner, yes, but I need the support system around me. In response of, or the face of self-pity, I will hold on a hope instead of despair. This is how we should respond to this kind of last strike. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. As I said from the beginning, the war will never be over unless I declare that there is, no, there is no hope for me. This is the end of it. And this is what Satan wants us to get there. If we don't get there, we are still fighting. We are accepted from God. We are in the process. We are in the way to receive victory. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.